Hello, and welcome to Refuge Church Podcast. My name is Nicole, and I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge. The message you're about to listen to is our final installment in a series we've been calling Thank You, God. Throughout this series, we've been uncovering the profound beauty of gratitude in all seasons of life, saying thank you, God, in chaos, thank you, God, in harvest, and thank you, God, in waiting. This week, I tell the story of Joseph from Genesis, how his life was full of chaos and full of waiting, full of disappointment and heartbreak, but ultimately how God was with him through every step of the way. God had a plan for him. God had a purpose for him, and he was walking with him through all of the chaos, through all of the waiting, and especially in all of the harvest. As you listen to this message, I pray that the Lord works in your heart, turns your heart towards gratitude as we meditate and reflect on 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Good evening. One more time, welcome to Refuge. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Nicole. I introduced myself to some people tonight, and I was like, I'm Nicole, and they're like, we know who you are. And I was like, okay. Sorry. So tonight, um, tonight we're wrapping up a series that we've been in that we've been calling Thank You, God. Brian wanted to go simple, mostly for me because I can never get the catchphrases right. So can we just try it to make Brian happy tonight on the count of three, our motto for this season, season series. One, two, three. Thank you, God. We're wrapping up our series titled Thank You, God, tonight. Brian kicked us off a couple of weeks ago talking about thank you, God, in the chaos, reminding us the importance of practicing gratitude in all seasons, especially in chaos. It strengthens our foundation in Christ. It, it prepares us for when things go totally wrong in the good and the bad, saying thank you, God. Last week, David shared about being thankful in the harvest and the importance of practicing gratitude in our abundance, not looking or wishing for more, but finding contentment in all that God has for us and is doing in the here and now. Thank you, God. And tonight, I wrap it up with a big old Thanksgiving bow um, with thank you, God, in the waiting. And Brian mentioned it, and I think David mentioned it last week, is that Brian strategically assigned these topics for us to teach. Brian mentioned that he's kind of in a season of harvest, kind of out of some chaos. David's in a little bit of chaos and a little bit of waiting, and he needed to be reminded of the harvest that God is doing in his life and the harvest to come. And I'm in a kind of a season of waiting. I'm waiting to get married. I'm waiting to be able to adopt Elijah. I'm waiting to become a counselor. I got a lot of things in my life that I'm waiting to happen. But as I began to prepare this message a couple of weeks ago, I actually used my time wisely and started a couple of weeks ago to prepare this message. I came to the realization and the Holy Spirit revealed to me is that it's possible to live in all three of these seasons simultaneously. And it's, impo- it's possible to find harvests and chaos. It's possible to have periods of waiting in the midst of your harvest. And it's possible to walk through chaos and to have a little bit of waiting even while you're in your harvest. And I believe this to be true and I've come to, to believe it as a fact because I live in, I feel like I live in all three of these seasons all at once. I, I feel like I constantly live in chaos because of this right here. (laughs) 
That, that is the aforementioned Elijah who I'm, I'm waiting to adopt. And I have come to believe that there are few things in life more chaotic than raising a four-year-old. I don't know what they are because this feels like the most chaotic my life has ever been. Case in point, the week Brian's preaching on chaos. I'm on my way to church. Annika calls me, says, I don't care where you are or what you're doing. You need to get to Galasano right now. Elijah has a gash in his head and he's bleeding everywhere. Okay. Okay. I'm coming. I'm coming. If you don't know, if you don't know, I have a background in the medical field. I am a neurodiagnostic technician. Fancy, right? If you don't think so, I think so. It's gotten me out of three speeding tickets. (laughs) Officer, I'm on my way to the hospital. I'm a neurodiagnostic technician. Okay, go on. So basically what that means is that I run diagnostic testing for neurologists, heads. So I'm very familiar with head injuries, traumatic brain injuries, strokes, seizures. I I know the whole bit. So as I'm speeding to Galasano, I'm going through all of the chaos in my mind. I'm thinking, okay, if he has a seizure, hopefully I can get to the hospital before he has a seizure. So Annika doesn't have to deal with that on her own. If he needs brain surgery, there's no neurosurgeon at Galasano. We're going to have to have him airlifted to Miami. Maybe I can call the neurologist who I know is on call and get him to meet me in the emergency room and do a quick check on my kid. We got to do MRIs, CAT scans. What if he has a concussion, all of these things. I'm going through all of these things. And I get there and I sprint into the waiting room. I find Annika and she points me to the kid sitting on his gammy's lap with a blanket on his head. And the first thing he says to me when I come up to him and I'm like, I'm freaking out parents. Like you just know the fear and the worry and he's holding a little bloody blanket on his head and says, can I still go to my cousin's house? He's fine. No surgery, no concussion. His gaping wound was the size of my fingernail. He got <laughs> two stitches, two staples, two staplers as he called them. It was just pure chaos. And this is the third time we've been to the emergency room <laughs> since I've been in his life. So <laughs> kind of hoping it's not me, but a little bit of me, but it's just chaos. And this is just part of the chaos of being a parent. But even in that chaos, I get to experience little moments of harvest. Um, after, after Brian's message, I was like, we need to start being thankful because this could have been a whole lot worse. So I made the decision that I'm going to make my family be thankful, whether they want to or not. So I went to Michael's and I found these cute little folly, autumny looking tags. And it says, I'm thankful for blank. And so every night before bed, we sit down and we write down something we're thankful for. I, I tried to explain it. We try to explain it to Elijah the best we can. And that being thankful is having something that you're happy you have, that you love, and that you want to thank God for it. Not thinking that this kid is going to get all that and understand what gratitude is. We give him a few um, examples. And he said he's thankful for his house the first night. I was like, oh, he might get it. He might understand. But then the next night, where we sit down and we're like, okay, dude, what are you thankful for tonight? And without skipping a beat, this kid looks at me and Annika and says, you and you. I put my head down because immediately I was about to ugly cry in front of him. Like my feels got hit with a semi truck. And as I'm waiting to become this kid's legal adopted parent, I get to experience little moments of harvest like this where he's showing me in his way that he already sees me as his parent. Little moments of harvest in the chaos of busted lips, busted heads, and emergency room visits where he's almost cut his finger off 
I get to experience the harvest of being his parent and him seeing me is that, like I said, I'm also waiting to become a licensed mental health counselor. And sometimes I get thinking like, oh boy, I can't wait to really help people. Like I have a desire to work with LGBTQ plus youth. I want to help people navigate anxiety and depression. I want to make, help people become mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically healthy. And as I was preparing for this message, God reminded me that refuge is part of my harvest. Is that week in and week out, I get to be a part of helping people grow spiritually, emotionally, mentally, taking care of their whole person from mind, body, and spirit. And that being a pastor here is part of my harvest in my season of waiting. In my waiting, I have chaos, but I also have harvest. And I don't know that Anybody in scripture exemplifies this more than a man named Joseph. So I have some visual aids tonight. If you grew up in church, you might recognize some of these things. We're talking about Joseph, last name, and the coat of many colors. So we have some felt board images tonight to help me tell my story. So quick sidebar. This week, when you go home, I encourage you to read the story of Joseph. It's Genesis chapter 37, skip 38, and then 39 to the end of the book. That's Joseph's story. That's what I'm talking about tonight. And I encourage you to read it because I'm just going to be giving you the felt board cliff notes of some of the important stuff in his story. So what, do we, what to know about Joseph as we move into the story is that he is one of 12 boys. He's got 10 older brothers and one younger brother. He's his dad's favorite. His dad's favorite of 12. Now look, if you got 12 kids, you can't pick a favorite. If you got three, you can pick the middle one as your favorite, and that's the rule. But other than that, if you got 12, <laughs> all the middle children are like, yeah, that's right. All the older kids are like, I'm the favorite. You're not. So Joseph, he's, he's the favorite of his dad. He's got, he's, and he's hated by his older brothers because of this, because he's his dad's favorite. His brothers resent him, bear hatred for him. So his dad tries to fix the situation by giving Joseph this expensive, beautiful coat made of many colors. Fixing the situation with sarcasm because it just makes his brothers hate him even more. And so we're going to read a few verses from Genesis chapter 37. It says, one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain when suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles, bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you're going to be our king? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him even more because of his dreams and the way he talked about it. Now we're going to find out in a minute that Joseph is 17 years old. So I don't think Joseph went to his brothers and was like, hey guys, I had this really troublesome dream where like this happened and that happened. Can you guys help me understand it? Joseph's anything like me. He threw on his coat flapped it out, made sure there were no wrinkles, walked into the kitchen and was like, listen up, losers. I had a dream where you're going to bow down to me. And he has another one where the sun, the moon, and 11 stars then also bow low before him. Now, it's easy to discount the divine nature because Joseph is an idiot. But if we, if we discounted all the promises and words from God because we're idiots, we would be nowhere. So Joseph's dream hold water. There's something to Joseph's dream. But because of the way he talked about it, because of his arrogance and his pride, this only made his brothers hate him even more. So this, 
This is Joseph telling his family his dreams. So, so Joseph's brothers were like, we got to get rid of him. And they were like, okay, let's kill him. And they're like, and one brother was like, I think that's a, that's a little much. Murder is a little excessive. Maybe let's not kill him. Maybe let's throw him into a pit in the middle of South Park. <laughs> I did not make these graphics. AI made these graphics. So <laughs> I just picked the funniest looking ones. So they're like, murder's too much. Let's throw him in a pit. So they throw him into a pit. And while he's in a pit, a caravan of traders are walking down the road. And his brothers see these, these traders and they're like, okay, we can't kill him, but we got to get rid of him. Let's sell him. So they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Again, Joseph is 17 years old. And this chaotic event of being betrayed and abandoned by his brothers was, happened to be the turning point of his life. Now, this chaos led to more chaos, which led to waiting and even more waiting. But this is what, what sent jo- Joseph on his journey to be, to, for his dreams to come true. So he's sold to these traders and he gets to Egypt. Genesis 39.1 says he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer, the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, I can't say with a lot of certainty what kind of relationship Joseph had with God, but I'm inclined to believe that they were, they were pretty tight, that Joseph had, uh, had, had prayed, prayed to the Lord often. And I'm inclined to believe that because of verse 2, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served his Egyptian master. And so Potiphar is a captain in the, it says the captain of the guard of Pharaoh for the king of Egypt. So he is a high-ranking military official, and Joseph is now his slave. But the Lord was with Joseph and made him a success. And so he goes from slave and low man on the totem pole to Potiphar's personal assistance. He gains authority and respect in his household and is put over everything, his crops, his cattle, his, his money, his finances, his other, other servants and other slaves. He's made He's made the master of all the other slaves. And I can only imagine that even though Joseph is, things are going good for him, he's probably thinking, man, this sucks. I'm in a city, I'm in a town, I'm in a country, that's not my home. But pausing in his moments of prayer and pausing and saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the dream and the promise that you've given me. Thank you, God, that I don't see a way out of this, but you will make a way. He puts his gratitude and his faith into action because that's what being thankful is. That's what Thanksgiving is, is putting your faith into action, saying thank you, God, when it's difficult. So Joseph works hard, puts his hand to the plow, reaps little harvests in the chaos where he can because it seems like the dreams that God put in his heart are shattered by his brother's betrayal. But the thing is, is that God was in the waiting God was doing something in Joseph, even though chaos and waiting was happening to Joseph. God was taking a proud and arrogant, childish person and preparing him to become the leader that he saw in his dreams. Because the 17-year-old kid that was bragging and being arrogant and rubbing it in his brother's faces, that is not somebody who was prepared for a position of leadership. So I imagine Joseph saying, thank you, God, for working when I can't see it. Thank you, God. God for moving when I can't feel it. 
Thank you for being God in the waiting. Thank you for preparing me, for equipping me to become the person you've called me to be. Thank you, God, for making me the person that you showed me I could be. Thank you, God, in the waiting. Scripture tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. And I'm, I'm inclined to believe it's because he continually honored the Lord and honored him with thanksgiving. Psalm 69.30 says, Then I will praise God's name with singing, and I will honor him with thanksgiving. I will honor him by saying, Thank you, God. Thank you, God, in the waiting. Thank you, God, in this chaos, because you are still with me. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So if you know the story of Joseph, you know it does not end there. Life seems to be going pretty well for Joseph. Things seem to be going his way. He's put in charge in a whole bunch of stuff in Potiphar's house. But then Potiphar's wife makes a move on him. But Joseph, being a, a man of integrity, he spurns her advances. She gets mad and accuses him of some very bad stuff. You did bad stuff. That's what that, if I was, if this was children's church, that's what I would say. You did bad stuff. This makes Potiphar mad. And once again, Joseph comes face to face with injustice and he is thrown into prison. But again, hear this in Genesis 39, 22. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Again, more harvest in the chaos. For again, a second time, Joseph does not succumb to the chaos. He does not give in. He does not quit. Instead, he continues to praise God and thank God in the middle of chaos because there is harvest to be found in chaotic moments of life. I imagine Joseph continues in his prayer to give thanksgiving to God. He continues to grow. He continues to adapt. He continues to be prepared for his harvest that is to come. But more importantly, he continues to wait. And as he's waiting, Joseph is put in charge of other prisoners in prison. I'm glad they don't do that anymore. And so as Joseph is in charge of other prisoners, two men are thrown into jail that are put under Joseph's care, and they used to work for the king of Egypt. They're, it's the baker and the cup, bower, b- cup bearer. There we go. And these men, while they're in prison under Joseph's care, they have dreams, and Joseph interprets these dreams for these men. The baker, we're not going to get into it. If you know that story, you know it's not so great. If you want to read how not so great it is, you can go read Genesis 39. So we're not talking about that. We're going to talk about the cupbearer for a second. He interprets a dream for the cupbearer, and he says, in three days, you're going to get out of prison. You're going to go before the Pharaoh, and he's going to forgive you and give you your job back. And Joseph says, but bro, when you get there, remember me, okay? I interpreted this dream for you. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Help me get out of prison. Then, then the lights dim and the narrator comes in and says, the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. It's more waiting, more waiting for the cupbearer to come through on his word. In fact, we're told how long Joseph has to wait before any hope comes through. It is two full years in prison that Joseph is stuck waiting for some good news, waiting for some hope, waiting for moving forward in his dreams, forgotten for two years. I'm sure at first Joseph was like, thank you, God, for that cupbearer. Thank you, God, for that dream. Thank you, God, that he's going to go to Pharaoh and get me out of here. Thank you, God. 
But as the days turn to the months and the months start to turn into years, I'm sure Joseph had forgotten some of that gratitude in that two years. It's easy to forget gratitude and disappointment. It's easy to be stuck in a season of waiting and say, how are my dreams ever going to come true? Joseph had these very vivid dreams. He knew what God was going to do with him, but he's stuck in prison. How can a prisoner, who's bowing down to a prisoner? All I'm doing is waiting. All I'm doing is sitting here and nothing good is happening to me. My dreams aren't coming true. Everyone else is getting out of prison. That stupid cupbearer got out of prison, but I'm still stuck in the waiting. I've endured chaos When is it my turn to experience the harvest? All I see is a flood. All I see is a a grave, and I am at my very end. Brian said something when he preached that has stuck with me, is sometimes saying thank you, God, is the most spiritually brave and courageous thing that you'll do. Sometimes all we have the strength to say is thank you, God through gritted teeth, with a heavy heart, with an anxious mind, is thank you, God, period. Sometimes that's all we have the strength to say. After two years, the king of Egypt has two very distressing dreams that nobody who works for the king can interpret. Nobody could figure out what these dreams mean for him. And that's when the cupbearer is like, oh yeah, hey, I know a guy. He's in prison. You just got to go get him. He's really good at that dream stuff. He's good. So I imagine Joseph getting cleaned up and going before Pharaoh. And he walks in just side-eyeing the cupbearer, just like. That's how I would do it. I don't know. Joseph might be a better man than me, but I, I would like not blink staring at this guy. So Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh, and the dreams mean this, that there's going to be seven years of prosperity, that the harvest is going to grow, that they're going to be reap more than they know what to do with, they're going to be able to fill up storehouses on storehouses, just seven years of prosperity. But after that seven years of prosperity, there's going to come seven years of famine, and it's going to be the worst famine you've ever experienced. You're going to lose everything. Cattle are going to die. Crops are going to die. It's going to be terrible. So what you need to do is you need to find a pretty smart guy who you can put in charge of all that, who will store away some of that in some of your barns and some of your storehouses so that when the famine comes, you'll have some supplies to go back to and you can portion out. You need to put someone smart in charge. And Pharaoh was like, do you want that job? And Joseph was like, heck yeah, I want that job. So Joseph gets the job, but Joseph doesn't just get a job. Joseph becomes basically the king of Egypt. Genesis 41 says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, okay, I'll put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. This is a big deal. The fact that Joseph has this ring means he he can make decisions for Egypt, that he is in charge, that nobody can jump without Joseph's permission, that Joseph has rule and reign over everything. Potiphar is basically like, I just want to be, or Pharaoh is like, I just want to be king in name. You can do all the hard stuff, but I'm still very, very, very important. So Joseph was 17 when this started. And we learn that Joseph is 30 years old when he comes to power in Egypt. 13 years. 13 years and he finally comes 
to power. But the thing is, is that that wasn't the dream. The dream wasn't just power and authority to rule. The dream was that he would be reunited with his brothers and they would bow down before him. And it would be at least seven more years before his brothers would travel to Egypt. Because why would they travel to Egypt in seven years of prosperity where everybody's doing well? Everybody's got more food than they can eat, more cattle than they can butcher. They're doing well. Why would they travel to Egypt until they were in the famine? So in total, to put a number on it, we're at about 20 years of waiting. And I believe that while Joseph was in his harvest as the ruler, I believe he continued to thank God. To thank God that a day was coming when the promise keeper would keep his promise. That a day was coming where God was going to make a way and his dreams would come true. And I think of how fitting the bridge to that song was that we sang tonight. It says, you pulled my heart from Egypt. You carved a road through sea. And when we cross that Jordan and look back at where we've been from all of our chains, from prison, from chaos, from waiting to endless praise. Thank you, God, for the promise. Thank you, God, for being in the chaos and being in the waiting because the story ends with you. First Thessalonians 5, 8 says, be thankful in all circumstances, chaos, waiting and harving, harvest. For it is God's will for you who belong to Christ. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. But thank him. Thank him for all that he has done. You're probably sitting there thinking, Nicole, this is, you're a really good storyteller. You're really funny. You should do stand up. But so what? Who cares? I'm not Joseph. I'm not an ancient Bible character. So what? Who cares? One of my favorite verses of scripture actually comes at the end of Joseph's story after his dream comes true, after he's been reunited with his brothers and they actually bow down before him. And in Genesis 50, he says this, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me into this position so that I could save the lives of many people. And in this one sentence, it tells us exactly how Joseph endured the chaos, how Joseph endured the betrayal, how Joseph endured the loss, how Joseph endured the waiting year after year after year after year for his promise and his dreams to come through. It's because God was in all of it. God was in the waiting. God was making a way when Joseph didn't feel like there was a way. God was moving when he didn't feel like God was moving. God was in every minute of his waiting. Sometimes in the chaos, sometimes in the waiting, all we can do, all we have the strength to do is say, thank you, God. And the truth is, is that sometimes it's hard to find things to be thankful for. In the middle of chaos, in the middle of waiting, in the middle of disappointment, in the middle of hurt. It's easy to be thankful when things are going really good, but when things are difficult, when you've lost your job, when you've lost a loved one, especially moving into a holiday season, when you experience loss of any kind, it's hard to be thankful Waiting for a dream to come true. Waiting for that promise to come through. 
Waiting for something to go your way, it is hard to be thankful. And that is when saying, thank you, God, is the bravest thing that you can do. Mark 14 says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying, take this, for this is my body. Then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms my covenant between God and his people poured out as a sacrifice for many. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this place to be poured out as a sacrifice for many. Facing death, facing betrayal, facing the most chaos that Jesus could ever endure. He sat with his friends holding the elements that we know as communion, bread and wine, and he still found a reason to give God thanks. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we close up, and we're going to do, we're going to have a time of communion here at the end of our service. But we're, I'm going to ask you to do it a little bit different than we normally do it. I'm not, I don't want everyone to go over there all at once and create a line. I want us to focus in and turn our hearts towards gratitude. You might be here tonight and you're like, Nicole, things are going really well for me. I'm in a harvest. I'm saying thank you, God, a lot. But you might be in this room and saying thank you, God, is empty. And that's okay. It's okay because it's the practice of saying thank you, God. Finding harvest in the chaos. The more that you just say, thank you, God, the more that you find that there is harvest, the more that you see God working. And if you have nothing else to be thankful for tonight, thank you, God, for making a way when I can't see the way. Thank you, God, that when I see a flood, you see a promise. Thank you, God, that when I see a grave, you see a door. And thank you, God, that when I'm at my very end, you see where my future starts. And it is all because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. So tonight, as we worship, as the band starts to sing the song, I'm big on reflection and meditation. I encourage you guys, as we sing the song, it says, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. To turn your hearts inward and reflect on where you can be more thankful. What God is doing in your life. Where you can find those little moments of harvest. And if it's just saying, thank you God. Period. That's all that it is. Thank you God for the blood. That's all that it is. But when you feel like you're ready to really worship and to thank Jesus for his sacrifice. That's what I'm going to ask you to move over. The communion is over here on this table by the safe. When you are ready and you feel like you're at that place to really connect with God and say, thank you, God, for this sacrifice. I'm going to invite you to go over there at your own pace and take the elements. I ask you to stand as we move into a time of worship. Father, I love you. Thank you, God, for harvest and chaos. Thank you, God, that you are working when we don't feel it, that you are moving when we don't see it, that you are in the waiting. You are in the chaos. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood.
Thank you, Jesus, that you paid a price that I could not pay. You saved my life. Thank you, God. We love you and we worship you tonight.